0: Welcome to the podcast and um, coaches chatter today we've got our first guest today Hayden Barnes and um, as you can see a lovely face on the screen now if you're watching on the YouTube channel Um so quick introduction Hayden Um, tell me about your sporting journey so far.
1: So, um, it's not cliche really, but I started at a young age um, when I was about seven, eight, playing rugby. Um, sort of got into that. Don't really know how I got into it. My dad played football, so he didn't want me to play rugby, but I went along. I was a pretty big kid, so I kind of fit in and just bulldozing some of the little kids. Um, it was sort of when I was about 12, 13 that I started realizing when I went to high school that I was quite sort of gifted with. And sporting sort of activities and whatnot like cross-country and getting involved in a load of different things and that's where it sort of took off for me really. Um, started enjoying my sport a lot more, getting involved in training, um, extra, uh, extracurricular sort of stuff outside of, uh, outside of school um, and then when I was about 14 my rugby sort of kicked off a bit more and I went to Southport Rugby Club um, where I'm still at now. Um, started playing there won a few cups with them a few undefeated seasons um in and out sort of the lancashire county setup throughout my time as well um and alongside that i was playing at hutton uh, which is obviously where we went to school yeah. <laughs> yeah. um sort of captained the school team first team uh, interesting fact i was the uh, the first lower sixth To captain the first team since uh, Steve Borthwick back back in the day, Um, and
0: then yeah,
1: leaves me where I'm at now with uh, playing for Bath University for rugby and uh, doing a
0: degree there. But yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think most people that you know, I've seen you play and everything. They would say you're definitely an athlete. I mean, like you said, cross country and stuff like that. But I mean, we played football together, and even then, that you wouldn't see you and think. You know, he's not an athlete or anything. So, um, out of, out of all them sort of, like, stages, what would you say, like, your biggest achievement is so far?
1: I mean, I've had quite a few sort of, like, you know, player of the year, player of the season awards and, uh, you know, the usual medals and stuff from winning cups and whatnot. But as I've said, probably the biggest honour was the captaincy at the school for, um like, obviously first lower six since Borthwick and whatnot. And then... County was good, playing for Lancashire and everything. Um, obviously, great accolade getting into the University of Bath as well. It was very kind of like competitive on my course. I think there was 500 applicants and only about 60 got on the course. So, I mean, really <laughs> proud, proud of myself getting on there um, and probably getting called up to play for Southport first team when I was only 18 as well, playing with all the like fully grown men and stuff was a big, big, uh, big honour for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, out of all the stuff I'm growing up, I mean, you you mentioned that your dad plays football. Um, what would you say sort of drove you to to take part in rugby or or to be successful? Um, and to be where you are right now. Um, I don't know
1: really what got me into got me into rugby at such a young age. I mean, I think my dad saw that I was more of a a rugby player than a footballer because I was em- in primary school. I used to take part in the the local primary school games and I used to play in goal. I mean, I wasn't great. Um, and he just, I was a big lad as a kid, um, so he took me along to Tarleton Rugby Club a few times and I just really enjoyed playing rugby and uh, seeing how that went. And then I suppose as I've got older, um, with sort of body progressions and, you know, drive towards motivation to do things have um, just sort of driven me towards wanting to pursue sort of career in something to do with sport. And uh, it's just carried on and gone strength to strength, strength, to strength there, really, and taken off a bit more.
0: Yeah. yeah. And uh, um, obviously, you mentioned about are back university great. at the moment. Um, what would you say like the next step is um, in, in terms of your rugby career?
1: Well, ideally, I'd, uh, I'd love to sort of pursue it as a professional full-time thing. Uh, I've always wanted to play rugby professionally, uh, ever since I was a young age. Um, it's always been a dream of mine um and rugby's an extremely hard sport to get into like without being biased and stuff but it's a more upper class sort of sport and there's a lot of private school recruitment and obviously we didn't go to a private school but no. um coming through the county ranks and stuff it's always been favoritism um if i can say that of like the private school boys and stuff and it has been difficult all it'll take is that one that one chance, that one opportunity, maybe at university or what, to get spotted. And I've just got to take that one chance and see what I can do with it, really. But yeah, um, ideally, I would like to pursue a career in rugby. Other than that, I mean, whatever I do, I want it to be in sport, whether it's strength and conditioning or nutrition or even if, I mean, I've sort of started delving into the world of sort of power training and running and I'm doing quite good at that. So, I mean, wherever any of it takes me, really, just got to see what happens.
0: Mm. I mean, you mentioned the bias there. Would you say, um, looking at it for, like a, a coach's perspective of it, would you say there is a bias there from a coach looking at, you know, groups of groups of players and looking, you know, they're from a private school, they train. How many times a day compared to a public school where they maybe don't train as much? Would you say there's a bias there from a coach?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting perspective to look at it from a coaching perspective because often in the Lancashire setup, which I was involved in, a lot of the coaches were from private schools like um, a lot of them were, none of them were ever really from public schools so they'd all, always favour their own students or like the students that they were all friends with and it was it was pretty biased but I remember there was one coach who was really supportive uh, when I was in the second team when I was younger of the L- Lancashire setup, and he put in a good word for me and I managed to move up into the first, uh, first team development but I mean in terms of squad selection and sort of in the yo- lower age groups when there's not much of an influence from actual performance and stuff. I think there was a great bias from coaches with like favoritism and stuff of development with certain players rather than the others.
0: Yeah. I'm <laughs> moving down on down to down. the coaches as a, as a talking point. What would you say um, in rugby, the, the role of a coaches? Is- um, I mean,
1: it's similar in uh, in most sports really it's the same as goes with principles of you want your coach to be you want them to be friendly approachable you want to be able to meet them on a common ground um, but then at the same time you want the balance of you want them to be firm and decisive and have a say in like not someone who's when you're at the lower age groups you know team selection you've got to give everyone a go like that always used to annoy me because it's just like you've got to take off certain players to put mm-hmm. bring on someone who's terrible um, but yeah, I mean, it's a hard ground for a coach to sort of meet the demands of what the players want, especially when they're doing it voluntarily at the lower levels and stuff. It is a hard demand um, for them to make. But I mean, in my personal experience, I've always wanted my coach to be approachable, um, determined, always wanting the best for the team and stuff. So just more of a, on a friend level, really, more than anything.
0: Yeah. And uh, you mentioned about the time. Um, how about, you know, everybody did the same amount? of the lower side of rugby the lower ranks that everybody should have time to play or do you feel like you know if, if the game's tight you should you know leave your players on and see how well they can do
1: sorry josh you cut out a bit there
0: i was just saying how um as a, as a coach do you think their responsibility is to get as many um play players playing at the same time and um, like you said about sharing time and you know bringing people off but do you think as a coach they should share time or they should just leave the best players out there so, so I mean, it's yeah, it's
1: a it's a difficult it's a difficult task for them because it, do, it sort of depends on the level of which you're at i mean at my the level that I'm at now playing first team rugby and high level university rugby i'd fully expect the coaches to leave on the players that they know can get the job done but yeah. it's different <laughs> because in these setups with like university especially at bath There's about i think there's four or five rugby setups so if you aren't good enough to be in the first team then you're in the second team and so on so it makes it easier for the coaches because they know the players that they're going to bring on will be good enough players to get the job done but whereas at my local club um it's difficult for the coach because there are players of less ability who are wanting to come off the bench And they can't necessarily say no because there aren't as many teams. There's not as much facilities or access to, you know, sort of give players an opportunity. So if they come along and want to play rugby, you can't really say no. So I think in that sense, you do have to Because at the end of the day at club rugby. It's all about encouraging athletes to, you know, get involved in the sport and stuff. So you want to give them the best opportunity that they can. So even though it's detriment to the team, I think, yes, you do have to come to a common ground and say, like, yeah, even though you are. Aren't the best player, you you are bring them on.
0: Yeah. Um, at, at Hutton, um, when we're when you were playing rugby there, um, throughout your time at Hutton, um, how many coaches or or teachers did you have taking charge, you know, in each year? So it differed really. It was a strange
1: one because sort of throughout each year the rugby coaches changed and you got a different like rugby master and. Um, and up until I think it was year 11 we had the same rugby coach from year 11 to lower sixth and then upper sixth so I think it was three years of the same coach and it does make it does make a massive difference because sort of when you're alternating coaches you don't really get I know that we were at school with them and we saw them all the time but you don't really get as much of a connection with them because at the same time they're coaching other teams and stuff so they have other commitments and it's difficult to Sort of connect with them, but I had a great, a great connection with the coach um, that we had for three years. So it just goes to show that sort of a stronger bond over a, diff- a certain amount of time does make better team cohesion.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, just thought I mentioned that then about how you, think you just sort of stage from year seven to year eleven. You know, with the changing of the coaches, do you think that might have had a, a decrease on performance? You know, trying to alternate different tactics and different, um, you know, personalities. Where in the three years we had the same coach, it was a bit easier because you sort of got a rhythm going.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I definitely felt as though they were uh, certain effects that happened on team cohesion and stuff because certain coaches in, say, year seven, yeah, I know we're not the best athletes at that point and we're sort of younger kids just getting into the rhythm of rugby, but obviously they teach you the basics then. But then as you go up the age groups, each different coach has different tactics that you want you to play and then it's like you'll play that season with those tactics and then into the next year you'll go and you've got a different coach who has different tactics. So in terms of gelling a team and all of them on a common ground it's difficult and um, but then whereas in certain private schools that I know of they have the same coach throughout the entire time and there are groups that are lads and they train a lot more and it's a lot easier for them to sort of develop as a team and whatnot so it is yeah I, it is difficult but then you can see the change when you come and you've got a coach for three years but then you've also that he's then got to face the fact that players drop in and out of the team and some of them are like, as motivated as others so we can have his set tactics for the certain players but then there's players that drop out and new players that come in that don't know the tactics that he's put forward so it is tough especially at sort of school rugby to keep like a common ground of um, rules tactics and like a set game plan.
0: Yeah, and I, think, I think it the around year nine and a lot, of, a lot of people were just like, well, I can't be bothered playing rugby anymore. And I think for a coach, that would be so hard compared to a private school where, you know, a lot of the players who are in the team are there, you know, for the entire time they're at school because that's what they want to do. They want to do rugby. Rather than at a public school level, it's kind of harder because you have, like you say, dropouts. Um, and just looking at um, different coaches and stuff like that, is a a coach you feel in the past that may have, Um, sort of hindered your enhancement of development as a player or do you think most coaches that you've had have done quite well at at pushing you and you know getting to that next level?
1: I think that all coaches have always tried to push me to the next level and always been positive and like sort of on my own self-development but then at the same time I've been extremely sort of self-motivated to train myself and sort of develop myself but if I recall sort of recently within the last maybe two years um, when I first got into the Southport first-team setup, things didn't go as smoothly to begin with because I was a young player, I was versatile, I could do a lot of what the older men couldn't. Um, the coach decided to put me at outside centre, um, which I usually played flanker, so in the forwards, um, and I had no idea what I was doing at that position. But obviously, I didn't really complain because I was just really excited to be playing for the first team. Um, But my confidence and, like, performance severely declined playing at that position because I I was out of position. I didn't really know what to do, but he insisted on playing me there. And I think as a result of that, like, my performance did decline um, and we didn't have, like, the greatest relationship at that point because I was pretty pissed off, really, that um, he was playing me in the position that he was playing me and whatnot. And uh, I wasn't overly happy. So, yeah, but. Then obviously he came to came around. Injuries came up, and he moved me back into my natural position. And he saw what he'd been missing out on. And I've managed to cut, hold the position there ever since. So yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. Do you think, yeah. as, as that coach, there, he should have really realised in the fact that you know you weren't unhappy, you, like you were unhappy in the fact that you weren't in the position that you wanted to do. You know, you weren't having the confidence that you had previous. Do you think he should have really noticed that earlier before injuries, you know, came about and where he had to change his mind? I mean, I do sympathise with his decisions and stuff
1: because obviously I was a young player. He didn't know my full capabilities and he saw me as like a young, bright spark. I had energy and speed and stuff. So he was lacking someone in that position and he thought I could play that role. And I did try and play that role. I didn't play it badly. I just wasn't playing to my full potential. Um, I would never refuse to play there or not give 100% because it's just not in me to do that. I always did. But... Um, It was difficult for him because he didn't have anyone else at that time that could play there really, but there were other options, but they weren't as strong as I was, but I just wasn't happy playing there because I knew that I had so much more to give in other positions. So it's a tough balancing act for him really, because at the end of the day, he doesn't want to be weak in one position, um, which someone could run through and score there where I was strong defensively being a forward, but... um, yeah, no, I I agree with his decision, but at the end of the day, it just wasn't for me what I wanted. But at the end of the day, being a sportsman, you can't always get what you want or the positions that you want. You've got to work for it. And I did end up coming into my position, and I'm still there now. So yeah, yeah. So
0: yeah. A bit so well. yeah. Um, you've spoken it before about um, relationships with your with your coach. How would how do you think you'd you'd want your coach to treat you? You know, would you want that? that hairdryer treatment or getting showered at when you've done something wrong? Or would you want that kind of constructive criticism?
1: I think it's a bit of both, really. You'd want, you want, and certain players need different needs when it comes to certain coaching aspects. So I think it's difficult, again, for the coach to acknowledge which players need what because for me personally, as a coach, I'd want them to be, you know, pretty hard on me, like drill it into me that this is the standard that I need to meet. If I do something wrong, I'd want them to tell me Um, But then whereas if you do that with other players who aren't as confident, then it really affects their performance because, you know, like telling them that they're rubbish or something or that they've dropped the ball um, is difficult for them. Because, I mean, I have had captaincy roles in both school and club and it is similar to being a coach because a coach can't relay how they feel on the sideline during a game. So that's down to me. And I have been... You know, um, during some games like where players I have performed badly, and I have given them a in and it doesn't help at all. Um, but then, for certain players, it spurs them on when you give them a in Like myself, like if I drop the ball and then someone shouts from the sideline, bloody, oh, you should have caught that. Then it does make me think, oh, yeah, I need to improve, and it makes me it makes me perform a lot better.
0: Yeah, and um, then you know, talking about your sort of role as captaincy, and you know the coaching elements that come with that. Uh, i remember it, um at high school sometimes you took charge of some of these sessions um sort of getting into the experience of being a coach and a, and a leader yourself what would you kind of say is hard to manage and hard to sort out when when coaching so it's
1: just things that i've sort of already touched upon really just with like the different personalities in a group and especially being quite young leading a session you don't get as much respect from some of the lads who are the same age as you as you you should do really they just think it's a bit of a doss around whereas I did want to put forward good training sessions to help the team but they're just there thinking that I'm just going to do some really easy session for them and they don't like the fact that I want to push them and make them better players but it is difficult when you've got so many different personalities in a team for a coach Obviously, they want to try and make team cohesion and everyone work towards a common goal. But I think for a coach that is more well-respected, like at my first team level and uni level, all the players are on the same wavelength um, and they all want to improve. But whereas if it's at school and stuff, when you're trying to coach, it is difficult because you've got lack of discipline, you've got people turning up here, there and everywhere. And it is more difficult um, to be a coach in that instance people not following drills and not just you know, adhering to what the coach has said. So I think at all levels it is it does get difficult meeting the balance of what everyone wants really from a coach.
0: Yeah. And uh, obviously we've touched on quite a lot of, you know, the positive things about coaching. You talk about, um, you know, like team cohesion and stuff like that, you know, working together. Um, and I'm just going to say about a bad coach, you know, have you ever experienced, you know, somebody that, that could be named as a bad coach or elements that, you know, don't really reflect on, on a good coach? um
1: throughout my playing career I've not really had anyone that per se will be a bad coach I've had there's been elements where they've demonstrated bad coaching sort of like personality traits in my opinion but that's just in my opinion so I can remember as example playing a rugby match and the coach would just walk off to another side of the pitch and lean on the post and just look like he wasn't asked about being there and then hard time would come around and he'd just give a lacklustre sort of team talk and it'd be down to me to sort of like gee up the lads to be like, come on, we need to improve. So I think I'd rather have a coach who was up and down the sideline, you know, shouting, telling us what to do, who looks like interested in it rather than someone who just takes a back step and goes and looks half-assed on the side of the pitch. So they've got to sort of implement the same, you know, it, 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 they want the team to do well just as much as we want the team to do well. So they've got to sort of show that as well, in their like personality and what they want. The whole team's got to be on a common ground, really, because once players don't want to play for the coach, then that's when cracks start to appear in the team as a whole. Like they start playing for themselves as individuals and not playing for the coach, which then causes a big problem. Mm. And it's like, you know,
0: it's like a reaction sort of thing, you know. If the coach on the sidelines giving orders, you know, trying to push the team to be, you know, more confident and sort of go for the win or something like that. You know, then the players will react from that. Rather than if you know the coaches stood on the sidelines, you know, not really bothering, then it kind yeah. of reflects back on the team, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, just finishing up, um, talking about um a dream coach. Um, what would what sort sort of be your aspects of a dream coach if you could pick like the perfect somebody to to lead? So, in terms of like,
1: in terms of rugby, um, if I was looking at coaches that I would like admire to, and I'd love to play for, it'd be Warren Gatland, who's. Um, the ex-Wales coach and the ex-British and Irish Lions coach um, he's I've read a lot of books about him, autobiographies and stuff and obviously being a Wales fan myself I know I've seen him in action and stuff and um, he is a great coach and uh, he's quite like a not sort of takes a back step with submersive, like sort of um, lets the team do the speaking sort of thing, he's not like up all in the face and in the social media and everything, he is quite a laid back coach which I do like and more of a leader that lets, like, his gameplay do the talking rather than, like, him sort of being like like a Jose Mourinho. Like, that wouldn't be my ideal, sort of, comes up with excuses and, you know, sort of things like that. But then, going away from rugby, I'd say that I like coaches who maybe are past players in that sport. So, you've got, like, Zidane and Perlo who are doing well as managers. Well, not too well at the moment, but Zidane, but, um, like, because then they can meet you on a common ground and they know what it is like to be a player um, and they can sort of sympathize with things that are going on. Whereas if you've got these individuals who are just solely in the managerial role and they haven't done anything else, then it's difficult for them to know on your level sort of how things are going and whatnot. So I do like managers and coaches that have been sort of involved in the sport before. Um, I think it helps benefit a lot with their training methods and their game plan and, just in that more traditional ways of thinking.
0: Yeah. 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 And uh, last question, just to just to finish up, do you reckon you'd be ever a coach if it all comes south? You had to be one.
1: I think that I, I think that I would have good qualities of being a coach um, through the captaincy roles and stuff that I've done and being involved in sport like my near enough my whole life so far. Uh, I think that I would. I wouldn't say I wouldn't know whether I'd want to be a coach or whether I would enjoy being a coach um, just for the fact that I'd rather be playing. But if it came to it and things fell through, I would take up a coaching role. But I just find the strategy and the all the cohesion and trying to sort of benefit everyone and all the time in the press and stuff um, isn't me. I'd rather be on the field in the nitty gritty sort of aspect of it. And if I was going to move away from that, I'd rather be behind the scenes, maybe doing strength and conditioning or like nutritionist for stuff, actually helping the players in ways to get them back on track and stuff, rather than at the forefront of like tactics and strategy. Because it's a harsh world coaching, especially when you get it wrong. I mean, you look at sort of last night with the Man United game of 9-0, one minute Southampton are doing great and the next they're getting hammered in nine goals. It's just... It's a harsh world and often, more than often not, the fans look at the coach for the answers, whereas, in all honesty, it's the players on the pitch. And it's a tough balancing act to get it right and I'd, I'd I'd rather be playing.
0: Yeah, and sometimes the coach is the hardest thing, you know. Um, it's trying to balance everyone out, trying to make sure everyone's got the best game time, your tactics and stuff. And I think, like you were saying then about, you know, sort of that like behind the scenes stuff, you can kind of still like guide and, you know, teach the players and help yeah. them get better. Um, but like you say, and you know, you'd much rather be a, a player, and I think really that suits you um, yeah. kind of in it, So, but yeah, that, that's everything really. Uh, yeah. So again, thank you very much for for being on the show. Uh, obviously. Uh, first guest to have and first real uh, episode um about coaching and, and coaching chatters. Um so thank you very much for coming on and hopefully no see. Problem, you again
1: soon. Yeah, no problem. It's been good. Thanks for having me.